All right, welcome back. Now we're going to be on chapter two, workforce safety and wellness of the EMT. Our overview is going to be emotional aspects of emergency care, scene safety, and wellness principles. All right, our case study introduction. EMTs are, are approaching unit 121 at Ashford Springs, an assisted living facility where they were dispatched for a report of a sick person. Are there particular issues that should be anticipated when responding to an assisted living facility? What hazards should the EMTs be looking for in this situation? What actions should they consider in anticipation of potential hazards? Go back to the study. Here are the questions that I encourage you to write down. All right, be thinking about these questions throughout the lecture so that you can um, attempt to answer them. EMS providers, safety is the first priority on every call. That's gonna be a very big point throughout your whole EMT training, your EMS life and career. Your, your safety is the first priority on every call, no matter what. EMTs must be prepared to deal with emotions of patients and their family members because you have to understand that um, it may not be very chaotic to you what's going on, but to the parents and the family members and patients, very chaotic to them. EMTs must be concerned with their own physical state and emotional wellness. Um, unfortunately, this job allows us to see some things that are very traumatic, even to ourselves, and we have to be cautious whenever we... Um, are dealing with these personal issues after uh, the calls are over with. Okay, emotional aspects of emergency care are death and dying, inherent parts of emergency medicine. So we, um, as EMS providers, we see a lot of death and we see a lot of dying individuals, unfortunately. It's something we have to learn to deal with. And... Um, I will tell you that you're going to see this on the test somewhere. Um, the five emotional stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. All of them are very real. Some of you have may, maybe have uh, experienced a loved one dying. And you've probably experienced one of these five emotional stages. Okay. Click the statement on the right that represents the thought process of a person in the stage of grief below, denial. So let's look at all these and <clears throat> I'll give you a few minutes to look and see which one you might want to choose. Someone who is in denial. Okay, if you chose number two, no, I can't believe this, this can't, this can't be happening, you'd be correct. This is denial. <clears throat> A person in this stage cannot believe what is happening or what has happened. All right, good job. Okay, anger. Let's talk about anger. Try to pick the one that uh, you think represents anger. 
Okay, if you chose number two again, you would be correct. This person is mad at what has happened or what has happened. What is happening or what has happened. Bargaining. All right, if you chose number five, this person, a person in this stage of grief tries to strike a deal in an attempt to stop or reverse the event that has happened. Okay, bargaining. Give you a few seconds to see if you can pick out which one bargain, bargaining is. All right, if you chose number five, you would be correct. This person is trying to strike a deal in an attempt to stop or reverse the event that is happening. Depression. Take a few minutes to find out or see if you can choose which one depression is. Right, if you chose number four, you would be correct. Depression. Sense of deep sadness and may suffer signs and symptoms associated with depression. And acceptance. Acceptance. See if you can take a few seconds and figure out which one acceptance is. Again, if you chose number four, you'd be correct. Um, there still may be sadness about the situation, but the person has come to terms with it and is able to cope. All right. Dealing with the dying patient, their family members, and bystanders. EMT has, uh, EMTs have obligations to help the patient and others. Uh, each individual may be in their own respective stage of... Uh, of grief. Um, the textbook lists several ways to reduce their emotional burden. Page 21. Let's see if this is in the notes. If they give us anything in the notes. They do not, but you can refer to page 21 in your text. Okay, case study continued. Connor and Melinda are met at the door by a young woman who has been crying. The woman says, it's my grandfather. His name is James Bennett. He has a heart. He has heart failure and kidney failure, but he is a lot worse today. My mom called and said that he has a high fever and is disoriented. How should Connor and Melinda interact with Mr. Bennett? What can they say or do to help comfort his family? What is the significance of knowing the patient has a fever? Take a look at the case study again.
and back at the questions. All right. Keep those in mind as we go along. Uh, high stress situations and stresses related to the profession. Long hours, boredom between calls, working too much or too hard, getting little recognition, and having to respond instantly. Long hours, uh, the, the, the normal hour for a EMS shift is 12 hours. Um, sometimes between calls, um, you're just sitting around waiting for the next call. At wherever you're staged so you, you can if you don't have anything to do you can become bored uh, working too much or too hard um, putting in overtime things like that I mean overtime is good if you're trying to make extra money but could also be detrimental to your health if you work too much uh, getting little recognition um, unfortunately this profession is a thankless job you don't always get a pat on the back and the family members don't always thank you for doing your job even though it is very, very warranted, but um, it doesn't always happen. And then having to respond instantly, which means that we go from no activity, to, from boredom, to sitting around, to all of a sudden we have a chest pains or cardiac emergency where our adrenaline goes from zero to 100 in a split second, and we're running lights and sirens to a call to an unexpected situation to deal with a patient so it's very uh, instantaneously all right high stress situations and stressors related to patient care uh, making life and death decisions fearing serious errors um, we we have to make those life and death situation uh, decisions because we are the ones who have the skills we are the ones possibly standing um, in between the patient and the grave um, and we can be fearful that if we make a serious error that it could cost someone their life. Something to think about. Um, that leads into being responsible for someone's life. You are responsible for their life once you begin care. Um, now, there isn't always the... It, sometimes we can't always save somebody. You know, and that's not your fault. And I mean, it, 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 the situation is going to be it. But as long as you do what you were told, what you were taught to do and you do it correctly... Um, if the patient lives, then wonderful. If they die, then I mean that that can't be on you because you did your job correctly. It's it's when you don't do your job correctly, and someone loses their life, um, there'd be an investigation and things like that that would um, hopefully uh, clear you. But then again, you didn't do um, exactly what you were taught to do. Abuse and neglect of pediatrics and geriatrics. Um, you know, these we will say youngs and olds in, in this class. And this is who we're referring to. Caring for infants and children. Um, it's very uh, sad situations when infants and children are hurt and dying. Um, they haven't had the chance to live a full life. So it's harder to deal with those uh, individuals when they get sick. Mass casualty incidents, or we call them MCIs, where there are multiple patients involved and there's a lot of carnage and a lot of sickness or injury. Um, or injury or death of a co-worker. Those people that you work with closely. that You don't want to see them get hurt. You don't want to see them die. 
So it's, it's very, very hard to deal with. It can be a very, very, very big stressor. Stress reactions. EMTs may suffer three types of stress reactions. Uh, acute stress reaction means it come, comes on very quickly. Delayed stress reaction where it may take a few days um, or weeks to, to, uh, to hit you. Or cumulative stress reaction or what we call burnout where there's just so much stress where you just get burned out. General categories of stress findings, thinking, psychological, physical, behavioral, and social. So on the figure to the right, uh, you'll see some different signs with uh, irritability to, uh, towards coworkers, patients, family, and friends, inability to concentrate, difficulty sleeping or nightmares, loss of appetite, anxiety, inability to make decisions, loss of interest in sexual activities, desire to be left alone, loss of interest in work, and guilt. Making lifestyle changes by the EMT. Avoid self-medication. Don't go home and drink your problems away or smoke your problems away. Okay, it's not going to work. Get exercise often, even if it's just walking. Um, diet considerations. Don't eat a bunch of junk food all the time. Eat, eat, health, eat a little healthier. Uh, and learn to relax. Like if you're working a lot of overtime and you're starting to get stressed out, you might want to stop working overtime. Take some time to just chill out. Take measures to maintain balance in your life. Recognize the responses of family and friends. Lack of understanding. Fear of separation. Inability to plan. Frustrated desire to share. Um... That this is uh, in reckon it is, is, is it refers to you. Um, you don't understand why family and friends can't understand. Uh, you fear of separation from those people, um, inability to plan things. I mean that's pretty self-explanatory. And then frustrated desire to share. So you want to share out a lot of things, but unfortunately you can't share about everything. So um, and you get frustrated when that happens. Make changes in your work environment. Develop a buddy system with a coworker. Encourage and support coworkers. Resist the temptation to dwell on the negative. Take a break to exercise. Request shifts that allow more relaxation. Seek professional help if necessary. There's no shame. There's no shame in talking to someone. No shame at all because that person is unbiased. And they won't take sides or tend to side with you about things or agree with you if you're making irrational decisions where you may have a close friend who's like, uh, likes to agree with you on everything and then you keep going down that road of stress. Critical incident stress management. Symptoms of burnout may occur after exposure to a critical incident. Sufferers of critical incident stress also may have repeated mental images of the situation. Inability to function on subsequent calls and fear of continuing work in EMS. The critical incident stress management process consists of two approaches. Critical incident stress debriefing and critical incident stress defusing. Uh, debriefing is where you, you talk to a supervisor, someone where you don't violate HIPAA. 
um, and you debrief who was unbiased, who did, who wasn't there to experience the same thing as you experienced, but you talk to them and you debrief, you get it off your chest. And diffusing is um, where uh, you may you may need to go um, talk to someone like professionally. Like I said, there's there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Or you just might need to take some time off. Okay, part of the next part of the case study. Connor assures the family that he and Melinda are there to help and that they will let the family know what their findings are. The EMTs pull on disposable exam gloves and they ask about symptoms that may be related to infectious diseases against which they should take additional precautions. What signs and symptoms may indicate that the patient has a communicable disease or illness? Excuse me. And what factors should the EMTs take in consideration, into consideration in deciding whether it is necessary to use standard precautions other than gloves? As they approach the patient, are there other safety considerations? Let's take a minute to write those down. All right. What is scene safety? Scene safety is taking appropriate measures to protect yourself from infectious diseases, following proper rescue procedures, handling violence properly, and being an advocate for safety. Infectious diseases are caused by pathogens, which include bacteria, viruses, fungi, protozoa, and helminths. Bacteria are single-celled organisms that can reproduce, usually uh, respond to antibiotic therapy when needed. Viruses require a host to reproduce. They invade cells in order to reproduce new viral particles, not responsive to antibiotics, and there are few medications to treat viral infections. Most cause mild self-limiting illnesses. Fungi, plant-like microorganisms, usually do not cause illness when the immune system is functioning normally. Can be a problem in patients with immune deficiency. Protozoa, single-celled organisms capable of movement, often found in the soil. Illnesses include some form of gastroenteritis, some vaginal infections, and malaria. Helminths are parasitic parasitic worms, excuse me. Uh, examples include round worms, flukes, tapeworms, and hookworms. Protecting yourself from disease. Infectious diseases are contracted from pathogens. Some infectious diseases can be passed from person to person and are called communicable diseases. That you will see on the test or future test. Diseases can be spread directly or indirectly. Here's an open sore on the arm of an apparent drug user. User, uh, as an example of an open wound that has potential to spread infection. That's disgusting. And if you see the marks, the marker marks right here, that's they've drawn out where the infection has spread, how far it has spread on the body. Standard precautions. You will see that that term again. Standard precautions. These are guidelines developed by OSHA to protect healthcare workers from communicable diseases. 
Employers must ensure that the standard precautions are available and must have a written exposure control plan. Standard precautions, hand washings, wet your hands, lather, scrub, rinse, and dry. 20 seconds is the recommended time. Alcohol-based hand sanitizer can be used when you do not have access to soap and water. Use a product with at least 60% alcohol. As soon as possible, wash with soap and water. Personal protective equipment or PPE. You will hear that, that mnemonic again, PPE. Um, personal protective equipment can be a range of things. Here is your eye protection. Now, this is an old picture, but our, our eye protection has gotten a little bit more stylish nowadays. Uh, protective gloves. You see him wearing gloves right here. He's suctioning vomit from that patient's mouth. Gowns and masks. Okay. Um, you see your uh, EMT wearing a mask. You see the patient wearing a mask. Probably means he has some sort of communicable disease that can be spread from person to person. A gown, you put it on. You use like a hospital gown almost. It tie, You put it on arms in forward and you tie it in the back to protect the front of your body as you're touching the patient or whatever. HEPA respirator or N95 respirators. These are masks that will uh, filter out any kind of um, microorganism that, that it could be a virus or bacteria. Okay, safe glove removal. Use only contaminated glove surfaces to touch other contaminated glove surfaces. So um, when we're when we're taking off our gloves, we don't we see how they have the glove gripped here. We don't want to be touching our arm or anything like that with another contaminated glove. Um, use to clean inside glove surfaces to touch other clean inside glove surfaces. So once you turn that glove inside out, the inside is considered clean. So you can uh, touch it with your bare hand. Do not touch a contaminated surface with your bare hand or fingers. So there they go. They are, they're, they're telling you not to touch the inside of the glove. So they're pulling it off. I teach where instead of doing this, you pinch the palm. You take some of that glove right there with this hand and you pinch the inside and that glove will come right off. And then you can ball it up in this hand and then uh, they'll show you how to do the rest. But regardless, however you get it off is fine as long as you don't touch the inside of your hand. So you pull it uh, downward, continue to pull it off. It's going to take some tugging because if you wore this along long enough, the inside of your hands is sweating. So there they go, balling it up in that contaminated, that contaminated glove in that other hand in there. And obviously it's not touching any clean surfaces. Then you're going to stick your fingers underneath, underneath the cuff of that other glove as to not touch the outside, but on the inside. And you're just going to pull it off because the inside of that glove is considered clean. So you can touch it with your bare hands and throw them in a biohazard bag. Um, all the trash cans on an ambulance uh, in the back are biohazard trash cans. So all biohazard um, blood soaked things go inside that trash can and it is to be emptied at the end of the shift or when it gets full. All right, additional guidelines, use disposable equipment, wash soiled clothing and uniforms, document any exposures and bag infectious items.
use sharps containers anytime you use something with a needle whether it is a lancet to check blood sugar a syringe or anything that is sharp and it can stick another person it immediately goes in a sharps container clean up blood and bodily fluids in your ambulance when you're done clean visible soil from non-horizontal walls um, basically um, if you have uh, a wall that's been in your ambulance has been soiled with uh, contaminant you must clean it and then always wash your hands that's what that says under that picture always wash your hands all right additional guidelines cleaning disinfecting disinfecting and sterilizing um, whenever you're done with equipment you must clean it uh, all of the, all of the ambulance services uh, should have some kind of cleaning disinfectant um, bleach solution that you can clean um, your equipment with disinfect it and sterilize it before you touch it with your bare hands or use it again okay protecting yourself from disease um, get immune get get your vaccines um, get your flu shot get a tetanus shot every 10 years uh, get your hepatitis, hepatitis vaccine, hepatitis B vaccine, polio, rubella, measles, mumps, uh, varicella or chicken pox. There are tests that you can do to see if you have the antibodies. Um, and if you have the antibodies, then you've already had it or, or you've been exposed to it. Uh, reporting exposures, report exposures following state and local laws of and your employer's policies. Report the exposure as soon as possible to your supervisor, including the date, time and details of the exposure. All right, exposure procedure here. You can uh, look at this. I want you to look at this on your own, become familiar with it. Um, so they give you an example on the left, airborne infection such as tuberculosis, um, transport a patient who is infected with a life-threatening airborne disease such as TB, but you are not aware that the patient was infected, so then you're not wearing a mask. Um, they diagnose at the medical facility. They diagnose the disease and patient uh, in the patient you transported. The medical facility must notify your designated officer within 48 hours. Your designated officer notifies you that you have been exposed. Uh, your employer arranges for you to be evaluated and follow up by a doctor or other appropriate healthcare professional. Um, this is correct. Uh, right now we're dealing with COVID-19. And if you get exposed and they know that you transported a patient that's been exposed, the CDC will actually email you. Uh, Bloodborne infections such as HIV, AIDS virus or HBV, hepatitis B virus. You can you come into contact with blood or bodily fluids of a patient and you wonder if the patient is infected with the life-threatening bloodborne disease such as HIV or HBV. Uh, you seek immediate medical attention and document the incident for workers' compensation. You ask your designated officer to determine if you have been exposed to an infectious disease. Your designated officer must gather information, and if the designated officer determines that, that it is warranted, consult with the medical facility to which the patient was transported. The medical facility must gather information and report findings to your designated officer within 48 hours and your designated officers notifies you of the findings. Okay, then you have to be evaluated by a doctor. You see it goes to the other side. And um, 
or other appropriate healthcare professional. Hepatitis B and hepatitis C are viral infections of the liver contracted through contact with blood and bodily fluids. Infected persons can be asymptomatic but still transmit the disease. Tuberculosis. Most often, uh, tuberculosis affects the lungs, but it can affect other tissues. Spreads by breathing in the infected droplets of sputum of a patient with a cough. There are antibiotic-resistant forms, meaning that there are forms of tuberculosis that cannot be cured by antibiotics. Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome, or AIDS, results from infection with the human immunodeficiency virus. Uh, or HIV, more difficult than hepatitis B to transmit through occupational exposure, impairs the body's ability to fight infections. Severe acute respiratory syndrome, or SARS, spreads, uh, spread by a person-to-person respiratory contact, accompanied by high fever, headache, and body aches. West Nile virus is a mosquito-borne. Most infected patients have no symptoms or mild symptoms. A a few patients develop severe symptoms that can last for weeks. Ebola is a viral hemorrhagic fever normally found on on the African continent. Uh, Marburg, Lhasa, yellow fever, and Ebola are the same thing. The Zika virus is spread by mosquitoes, rarely fatal but can cause birth defects to unborn, unborn uh, children of the infected mother. No vaccination exists. Avoidance and prevention are key to limiting infection. Multidrug resistant organisms common to patients who frequent the healthcare system may cause pneumonia, infections of the blood, ear, sinuses, and skin, or parentinitis. Follow standard precautions and any additional instructions provided by the medical facility. Okay, table 2-1, you can look over on the left. It says diseases, list all the diseases, how they're transmitted. transmitted. There's incubation period, how long it takes to incubate. Uh, protective measures, what they tell you to wear as far as your PPE. And there's a continuation of it. I want you to go ahead and look at these. Become familiar with them because these are the most common that you will deal with out in the field. All right, case study uh, continuation. Mr. Bennett has not had a cough, but has a history of urinary tract infections that have led to similar signs and symptoms. Mr. Bennett's confusion is accompanied by some agitation. So Connor and Melinda speak calmly to him, but maintain alertness to the possibility that he that the agitation could lead to physical combativeness. In addition to gloves, what PPE, if any, is needed? Look back at the case study. And the question again. Okay. Scene safety, protecting yourself from injury. Prevention strategies include the use of vehicle restraint systems, safe lifting and moving techniques, getting adequate sleep, 
physical fitness and proper nutrition, and using standard precautions. Other actions to protect yourself must be taken in the following situations. Rescue operations, hazardous material incidents, violence slash crime scenes, biological and chemical weapons of mass destruction. That is correct. All of those seem very, very um, extreme, but they're very, very possible. Hazardous materials, uh, use binoculars and the U.S. DOT Emergency Response Guidebook. That Emergency Response Guidebook is in an app form, and you can download it on your device for free. Request a hazardous materials team and allow hazardous materials personnel to decontaminate patients and bring them to you. So, in a hazmat situation, if you are unsure and you believe that there may be ha- a hazmat situation where there, the scene may contain hazardous materials and you haven't been trained, nor do you have the uh, proper equipment to go into that scene, then I suggest you notify the hazmat team. And they can de- decontaminate your patient and bring them to you once they're done. Here's uh, examples of hazardous material warnings. Um, there's 18 of them on here and they tell you what they are. I wouldn't want to be around any of this stuff. Most of these placards are posted on a wall or on the back of a, of a vehicle carrying these, uh, these, um, contents. There's the emergency response guidebook. I know this is an old one, but there is an updated one. The app updates whenever the book updates. If you download it, like I said, it is free. It's a good resource to have. Self-contained breathing apparatus or SCBA. Okay, if you have not been trained or fitted to use one of these, do not put one on and try to use it. Let the appropriate personnel use it. As you can see, this is a fireman. And if you look at his hat, he has been medically trained in some sort of form, shape, or fashion. Um, All right, so protective suits, A, picture A, they're being donned. That means they're putting them on. And then B, they are in use. Hazards may include, but are not limited to downed power lines, fire or threat of fire, explosion or threat of explosion, hazardous materials, low oxygen environments. Uh, definitely an unsafe scene. We Unfortunately, we want to get to our patient and make sure they're okay. If the patient is still in that vehicle, we are going to leave them there until we are told by the power company that there is no danger if we step on or touch one of those wires. Again, down wires are dangerous even if no fire or spark is evident. Just because you don't see sparking or fire doesn't mean they're not live wires, okay? And obviously the fire department is in there because the, the power company has arrived on scene and turned the power off. And you see EMS personnel here patiently waiting for them to extricate the patient. Federal law requires use of high visibility apparel at or near roadways. Um, three classes are class one, two, and three for vests and garments. Um, ANSI is a number, uh, government number that we want to use. ANSI ISEA uh, 107 to 2004 high visibility apparel worn over the protective gear. So we want to wear this on our outermost garment. 
so that it can be reflective and be seen. Okay, violence and crime. Violence can arise from patients, bystanders, family members, or perpetrators of a crime. If you suspect the potential for violence, request law enforcement. Do not enter an unsafe scene. I cannot stress this enough. That's what the police are there for. They have all the tools to deal with it and the training. So if you have a, a violent patient or a violent family member or suspect um, and you're on scene, you leave the scene immediately and then call law enforcement. If, um, if you know that before you arrive on scene, please do not enter the scene until law enforcement has made it safe. Um, here's some dangerous uh, scenes here. Um, on a picture a you see a raid at a clandestine meth lab there are people who have been trained to, to take these meth labs apart that's why you see someone in a hazmat suit right there we do not go on scene until that scene is made safe and b a warning note is left by the victim of a chemical suicide there are again there are people who are trained to deal with these situations we let them go in before we go in and uh, possibly injure or kill ourselves. All right, Connor and Melinda complete their assessment, initial treatment of Mr. Bennett and prepare to place him on the stretcher for transport. What are the potential risks to Connor and Melinda at this phase of the call and how can EMTs be proactive about minimizing these risks? Any questions? All right. Physical well-being. Physical well-being is necessary to perform uh, to performing the job of an EMT. Physical well-being includes physical fitness, adequate sleep, and injury prevention. Core components of physical fitness are cardiovascular endurance, muscle strength, muscle endurance, muscle flexibility, and body composition. Muscle strength required for frequent heavy lifting EMTs do. Muscle endurance, the ability of muscle to function over time without fatigue. And flexibility allows movement through the full range of motion without injury. And body composition ratio of body fat to total weight. Lower ratio of body fat decreases the risk of chronic illness. Adequate sleep. Obtain 8 to 10 hours of sleep each day. Working shifts that conflict with the body's natural rhythms can create physical, mental, and social difficulties. Techniques exist for improving the quality of sleep. Smoking cessation, meaning you need to quit smoking. And um, if you have any alcohol or drug-related issues, you probably need to stop those as well. Stress associated with EMS can affect your mental well-being. Over time, stress can lead to chronic, chronic physical illness and emotional issues. All right, so Connor and Melinda transport Mr. Bennett to the emergency department when they return when they turn his care over to the nursing staff with verbal and written reports. The EMTs dispose of their gloves and wash their hands. Connor puts 
on a fresh pair of gloves and performs routine cleaning and disinfection of the ambulance and the equipment. After their shift, Connor Lee heads to the gym while Melinda plans to read a book after talking, taking, uh, should say taking a walk with her dog. After a good night's sleep, both EMTs return to work the next day, ready to meet any challenges that await them. Okay, lesson summary. Dealing with death and dying is a regular part of EMT's job. Five stages of grief exist, and the patient may be in any one of them. Take measures to manage job stress. Recognize signs and symptoms of stress reactions. Be aware of the risk of associated, uh, risk associated with emergency response. Use standard precautions for protection from communicable disease. Assess all scenes for potential hazards and make sure they have been addressed before entering the scene. Okay, uh, that concludes chapter two. I'll see you next time for chapter three.